Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. <clears throat> this is Attorney Vincent Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to helping families and keeping them together and fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about um, what I will call the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing, uh, one of the most important hearings in the juvenile dependency court system. Generally, the first hearing you go to is called the detention hearing. That's where the court makes a decision and determination on whether the child should be temporarily removed from the family. The next hearing that you go to in most courts in California is some type of jurisdictional hearing or some type, some, some, hearing, some courts call it a receipt of report. And that's where a investigative social worker has been assigned to the case and prepares what's called the jurisdictional report, also known as the Juris Dispo report. Once that's prepared, if the parents don't agree with the recommendations of the social worker, which is probably, you know, 95% of the time, uh, the parents are entitled to have uh, two trials. In California, in most courtrooms, those two trials are done together. They're called the contested jurisdictional hearing and the contested dispositional hearing. They are two separate hearings by statute. However, most courts in California do those hearings together you are entitled to ask the judge to separate or bifurcate those hearings. And I have seen in the past some judges agree to bifurcate it. Back when I first started doing juvenile dependency cases in 1989, those two hearings were um, almost always separate because the test and the evidence um, are different. At the jurisdictional hearing, the social worker has to prove by a preponderance of evidence that the allegations against you are true. Positional hearing, the social worker has to prove by clear and convincing evidence that you are a substantial danger to the child and that there are no less restrictive alternatives. The less restrictive alternative being placing the child or the children in foster care. That dispositional hearing is probably one of the most important hearings. I get the feeling sometimes that when the social worker proves by a preponderance of evidence that the allegations are true, that people just automatically assume you're going to lose dispositional hearing. And one of the things that I try to stress, as I did yesterday in a case, is I reminded the court that regardless of whether the jurisdictional allegations are true, the department still has to prove two things, that you're a substantial danger to the children 
And that's just not danger. It's a substantial danger to the children. There are no less restrictive alternatives. I'm in the middle of a case up in another county in Northern California. And one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to prove, I'm going to try to prove that there are less restrictive alternatives to placing the children in foster care. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is I plan to call a witness from the department, from the social workers, from CPS, to come testify about something that's little known in the juvenile dependency process. Social workers and social county agencies here in California get federal money to provide something called family preservation services. And and those services are just what it sounds like. It's services that the department can give you, CPS can give you to keep your family together. Let me give you an example. Um, In LA County, they can provide services where a team of people come out to your home three, four, five times a week to teach you, to counsel you, to make sure that your children are safe, better. And it also happens to be cheaper than placing the children in foster care. However, it comes out of a separate line item budget, and I get the feeling that a lot of times counties and CPS don't want to give you those services because either, number one, they're, they're expensive, and number two, um, they don't get to keep the money. They have to spend it on you to keep your family together. So those two hearings, jurisdictional and dispositional hearing, are, are very important. Um, one of the things that you should also do is email your attorney. I didn't say call. I said email your attorney and ask to meet with your attorney you know, a week or two before the hearing so that you guys can strategize about these two important trials that you're headed to. So many times people come to my office and say, hey, um, you know, I had a trial and I met with my attorney five minutes before we went into court. Uh, That's not enough time. Um, I substituted in on a case uh, this week and I showed up at the trial. The client hired me Wednesday night. Thursday night we filed, uh, Thursday we filed the substitution of attorney. And I had my client write the old attorney. I said, um, you know, let us know what witnesses you subpoenaed and what exhibits you subpoenaed. Um, when I talked to the attorney at court on Friday, the attorney informed me that they hadn't subpoenaed anyone. Um, and it was just going to be a trial where the social worker was going to testify and uh, the parents, the mother and father, were going to testify. Luckily, for a lot of other reasons, um, the the uh, judge said, well, we're going to continue this case. And when we went outside, the father's attorney, who had been on the case since the beginning, said, both of the mother and father, with me standing there, oh, this is great. Now we can, you know, have more time to prepare. So you want to make sure that you prepare before you go to court so that you don't get stuck in doing a trial and you don't have your witnesses and your exhibits there. I'm going to take our first call. It's from area code 626, ending in 96. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? Um, good morning, Mr. Davis. I have a story to tell. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Hello? Hello, I can hear you. Uh, I said, um, good morning, Mr. Davis. I have a story to tell. Okay, let's hear the story. Um, I I got a DCFS open, a case open back in June of 2016, and just recently in August 28th, they they terminated my rights, and um, it was it was a lot. Like it was really difficult for me. It was a lot for me, and. Um, I say that because for the past two years, like, I've been trying to finish a program, and I haven't been able to. Um, I've been able to stay sober, and I've been able to do the program. But for the past two years, um, when they first took my kids away, um, it was... It was kind of hard for me, but for some reason, I just let time pass by, and I didn't. I was scared most of every, most of anything, um, to because I never I never been to a drug rehab or I've never done anything of that. So um, I let time pass by, and I went into jail. And when I was in jail, I was thinking, oh, you know, like, what am I doing? I should have already had my kids back. So when I got out, that's when I finally enrolled in a program. But in that program, for some reason, some girl wanted to fight me. And I didn't do anything, but I still got kicked out. And then in my second program, um, I they had me in a contract because one of the facilitators told one of the supervisors that I was late to group and that I was always missing. So um, they put me on a contract, and that day that I got kicked out, I guess um, I don't know what it was, but me and this girl, because we were supposed to cook breakfast, um, but we traded days, because in that house, I guess every day, like different girls cook, and um, and this was at Stepping Stone, and um, that day, I guess. Um, they got mad because breakfast wasn't made. The girl that I had created days with, she didn't wake up. And I was supposed to go talk to my social worker that day. And she told me I couldn't. And they they took it to the to the owner, I guess. Not the owner, but the director or whoever was in charge. And she was the one that said, yeah, you have to go because they said I was trouble. And, but... Because they said that we couldn't, I guess, between the girls, like, we couldn't switch off days or we couldn't create days because it was already an assigned day for a reason. So I got kicked out. And after that program, I went to, uh, I did outpatient. I did five months and on my sixth month, like, well, I did five months. And right when I was going to turn six months, I got arrested. I missed a week. And they told me that I had already missed too many days, so I got discharged. Um, and then after that, I did a three-month program, program, and I was able to finally complete. 
and when did within that time um about maybe a year ago I had already finished my parenting class. So they asked me for a parenting class, a finished program, a computer program and um therapy. And I I had um I already did all that, but by the time that I went into court they told me it was already too late. So they terminated my parents' rights, and right now I'm still trying to fight for them because I don't want to give up, you know. I want to keep fighting for them because I don't want to lose them. I understand. Keep fighting. Please tell me the children are with relatives. They're not. They're foster care. Why aren't they with relatives? Um, because I tried to look around and, you know, nobody in the family wanted to help me. They told me, like, they would tell me that they were either too busy, there was no room, or just, you know, any, they would tell me just anything, and I couldn't find anyone to help me. You didn't have any relatives anywhere in the world that could help you? (laughs) No. Because you know that your children can be placed with relatives outside of the county where your case is. So, for example, if your case is in Los Angeles County, the relatives could be in San Bernardino, Riverside, Shasta. For that matter, the relatives could be in Las Vegas, Miami, New York, Canada, Mexico, South America. I have... um... I have family down, sorry, I didn't even to interrupt. I have family down in Cabo, and they told my mom and my sister, because my sister was living down in Cabo, well, she has, well, and they told her that the kids couldn't be taken out of California. Who told them that? The social worker. Well, the kids can definitely be, be taken out of California and placed in another state, another country, for that matter. Um, There's something called International ICPC, which is the uh, Interstate Compact for Placement of Children. And children can be placed anywhere. So sometimes I get the feeling, you know, I don't know if this is true, but sometimes I get the feeling that social workers don't want to place children outside of their county or outside of their state um, because they lose control of the children because it's kind of transferred, the supervision is transferred to the place where the children are living. So for Mexico, you know, it's, uh, I think it's called DIF. The CPS equivalent in Mexico is called DIF, I believe. And DIF actually takes control over supervision of the children. But here's the big thing. The big thing is the money follows the children. And I don't think California uh, or L.A. County social workers want to lose that federal funding for supervising the children and, um, you know, uh, providing them services, because that will all be done in Mexico if the children were placed in Mexico. So one of the things that you and your family should do, well, you should keep fighting. You should appeal File three. Well, I don't know if you can file a three eighty eight right now because, but your 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 family can file three eighty eight and ask for the children to be placed with them. And um, I, you know, I would like to actually talk to your relatives about 
what they were told because what they were told is absolutely not true. And social workers know that it's not true. And um, I would have to guess and speculate that the social worker just outright lied to your family. Children can be placed in Mexico. Now, it's a lot of work, you know, as you might imagine, but they can be placed. And I have been on many cases over the years um, since uh, I've been doing this type of work where children have been placed in another country, especially Mexico, because, you know, it's the closest country to us. But I've had cases where kids have been placed in other parts of the world. So anyway, I want to yeah. thank you for sharing your story. I want to tell you, keep fighting, never give up. Those are your children. I don't. I, I, I've been trying so hard to get them back, and it just, like, it couldn't happen. But I don't want to give up. I want to keep fighting for them, and I want to, I want to have them back again. I don't want to, I don't want to miss them growing up, and I want to be there for them. I understand. Well, thank you for calling and keep listening to our show. Thank you. I like your show. Bye-bye. If you want to call in and share a story or ask a question, give us a call at area code 646-688-8791. That's 646-688-8791. Okay. I want to remind everyone that's listening, that children are supposed to be placed with relatives. So, you know, one of the strategies that I employ is I ask the parent to make a list of people who could, notice I didn't say would, who could take the children. Their name, address, telephone, email if they have it and then put the relationship they are to the child. Now, there's a group of relatives that have priority and placement in the law over all other relatives and placement. And those are the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, and the adult siblings. You know, I I had a case this week, two children returned to a father after many, many, many months. And, um, they were placed with distant relatives. And when I say distant, these people must have been related by marriage to one of my clients' third cousins. And the marriage wasn't even still valid. They had gotten divorced. So that's, that's distant. And the social workers wouldn't place the children with the maternal grandparent, maternal grandmother. And I got on the case late. Um, there were a lot of problems in the case. And I finally got the father of the children back, but at the same time I was fighting to get the children placed with relatives within that group, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and adult siblings. And by the way, if you're an adult sibling who's 20 years old, don't let the social worker tell you you're too young to take the child. The law is very clear. You can take the child, provide you more assistance, but that's the law. We try to keep families together. The Supreme Court of the United States has opined that the family is the fabric of our society. And a lot of times I go to juvenile court and I don't see that. So let's keep these families together. 
All right, so the next call I'm going to take, I'm getting a little backed up here, is area code 925, ending in 38. Good morning. You're on with Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I have a story to tell. Go for it. Okay, my story is I'm the grandparent of uh, my kids here in California, and they're in foster care. I was notified on September the 11th of 17, and they asked me that if I was interested in being a part of my grandchild's placement to contact them. So I did as follows. I contacted them. I did everything that the county asked me to do. I even took the CPR, the first aid, the kinship program, did the inspection, completed everything as a grandfather, wanting to support his grandkids. And they had already placed the grandchild in foster care at that time. So now they're telling me that after all of this that I've done, and interest of getting the kids and taking care of them, that they feel that the kids are in a stable environment and they don't want to move them. And I think that the court is acting upon um, the county's lack of information provided to them and helping to assist me in getting my grandkids and that is I think it's it's totally wrong because I'm the only relative that stepped up and even before the kids were placed in foster care which they were taken from their mom I tried to get the kids from her but she wouldn't turn over custody of the kids to me so uh, I'm in a situation where I need to know as far as uh, where where does it go from here? There's another uh, court hearing coming up within the next 30 days, and I feel like the county is doing everything they can to keep me separated from my grandkids. Okay, that's a very good question. What county are you in? Contra Costa. Okay. So um, I have a theory that the county gets paid more when the child is adopted by a foster home or placed in a foster home than they do for relative care taking. Correct. And the only reason why I have this theory is because I find it almost unbelievable that a social worker who is given the duty to keep families together, let me repeat that, to keep families together, would recommend that the child stay in the foster home. Now, there's something that I have to tell you. There is something to the argument that where a child has been placed in foster home, that there may be detrimental effects by moving the child. However, 
tell me that that is outweighed by the benefit a child will receive by being placed with a family member. Correct. And and as I told the prior callers, the Supreme Court has already said, you know, it's the law of the land. The family is the fabric of our society. We're supposed to keep families together. That's the only thing that makes this entire juvenile dependency process um, constitutional. Now, the reason why I asked you what county you were in, um, because we do cases in different counties, but I get the feeling that your county is one of those counties that believes that the child bond with the foster parent outweighs with, Correct. you know, I, I don't agree with that, but some people think that. Correct. Now, here is what you have to do. First, get a pen and a piece of paper, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Let me know when you're ready to write this down. I'm ready. Number one, number one, you have to immediately file the following. You have to file a 388 petition requesting the child be placed with you, and the alternative, that you be given visitation, including overnights and weekends. Number two, you must file what's called a de facto parent motion. A lot of attorneys and maybe even some judges will tell you that you're not qualified to file a de facto motion or get a de facto motion granted. However, there is a case called N. Ray Charles S., as in Sam, N. Ray Charles S., you can Google it, that says that if you're a blood relative and you keep coming to court, you should be given standing in the case so that the judge can hear from you. Number three, you should meet, you should immediately file a petition, I forget the number, to get a copy of all the documents and records in this case to find out more about the child and find out what they're saying about you because they won't place the child with you and you're the grandparent. And remember I told the prior caller, there's a group of relatives that have preference. You're in that group as the grandfather. The next thing that I think that you should do is, and, and a lot of people um, disagree with me about this, and sometimes judges you know, look at me kind of crazy, but I file petitions for temporary guardianship and permanent guardianship. All right, because even though that's generally a probate department kind of thing, I think that it's applicable to juvenile court as well. So those are okay. some of the main, I guess, four things that immediately. Now, here's the problem. Okay. I might as well have told you, hey, go perform open-heart surgery. Correct. I'm, I, I don't know your background. I don't know if you have a legal background or a paralegal or an attorney. But you're not going to be able to do this the right way unless you have someone with experience. So you're going to have to get on Google and find someone in your area that's going to be able to help you. Do not ask the social worker because they're not going to help you. They're your quote-unquote enemy in this case, and they're not going to help you. So you need to go find an attorney. Now, I told this story to someone recently. Imagine that the social worker has come into your home, gone in the back into that closet, 
and gone down and found that secret hiding place underneath the floorboards and has found that $10 million that you had hidden there. She takes it and she walks out with it. What are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what you would do. If, it, if he was still alive, he'd call Johnny Cochran. Right. But when people come, when, people, when social workers come and steal these kids or take these children, people are like frozen. They don't do anything. Exactly. They talk to, yeah. they talk to the social worker who's not their friend and who's not going to exactly. help them. The social worker is on the other side in the lawsuit. You're fighting the social worker. They're not going to help right. you. They're just going to pretend that they're helping you. Right. And I shouldn't make that blanket statement. I have met some very good social workers who are interested in keeping families together. But I lot, I've met a lot on the other side, too. So you've exactly. got to take it into your own hands, protect your family, and go to court and get heard and get recognized. Because you're the grandfather. You should have the child, period, end of story. Exactly. Okay. So Google knows all. You need you need to get on Google and find someone to help you. If you'd right, like, you so. um, if you'd like, you could give me a call um, on Monday. Remind me that we've talked, and I can give you some more helpful uh, tips. We'll do, Mr. Davis. All right. My telephone number is triple eight triple eight six five eight two. That's eight 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 eight. Six five eight two. Thank you for calling into the show and keep listening. Thank you so much. You know, I was telling someone this week that I estimate maybe forty percent of the people we represent in juvenile courts are family members trying to get kids out of foster care. If social workers just followed the law these relatives wouldn't be a, wouldn't need to hire me. All right, so I'm going to take the next call. It's area code 619. I think that's down in San Diego, ending in 79. Good morning. Hello? You're on with Attorney Vince. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, it's a little bit of both, I guess, to tell my story to kind of get um, some guidance. Go for it. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Hello? Okay. Um, I'm not a a guardian or or a parent or anything like that. My story is a little bit different. I worked at a group home. Um, It was my first time working at a group home, and I actually got into a physical altercation with a 16-year-old. She poured something on me in the heat of the moment. I poured it back on her, and then she jumped up and, and came towards me to attack me, so we started to fight. Um, basically, I'm under investigation with CPS, and I met with the CPS investigator, and she's saying that I'm going to get charged with um, basically physically abusing a minor substantiated and that I'll never be able to work with children again. And that's my passion is to work with kids and things like that. I've never had any case ever filed against me, anything like that. And she's telling me that this is something that's going to be on my record forever. And so I'm trying to figure out if there's any way that I can fight um, something like this. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's America. You can always cite any governmental finding against you. And based upon what you told me, it sounds like self-defense. Exactly. So I'm just I'm just wondering now, how can a an investigator, you know, make this decision against me, you know, and it seems like it's like worse than having a felony on your record. Right. Well, it's not worse than having a felony on your record. Um, they will probably try to list you in what's called the khaki index that's not available to all um, employers, just employers where you want to, if you want to work with children. And I did hear you, and you said that that was your passion. So when they make that finding, you'll notice in the letter that either in the last paragraph or somewhere in the letter, they will tell you that you have the right to appeal their, excuse me, their decision, and that's what you should do. The bad thing going against you is, you know, it's a minor. But, you know, maybe you need to find out or maybe you do know some of this minor's problems and proclivities. I mean, you know, was the, was the minor violent by nature, aggressive by nature? You know, that's the thing. And yeah. right. No, no, I'm just asking. I'm just kind of guessing, you know, because um, I've had clients uh, in group homes many years ago. Um, I used to represent children many, many years ago. And, um, you know, I know how things can go and, get, you know, get out of hand. So, but to answer your question directly, yes, you can fight it. I wouldn't worry about trying to uh, have a discussion with the investigator since the investigator um, is not on your side. Uh, and by the way, if any police officer uh, approaches you to discuss this matter, I would advise you not to talk to the police officer. Police officers investigate crimes and they make arrests, so you don't want to have a criminal matter arising out of this. So just, um, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't even talk with the social worker about it anymore. She's told you what she's going to do. You're not going to change her mind and just wait to do your appeal. Appeal, by the way, at that hearing, you're able to call witnesses, subpoena records, that type of thing. So if you need to call witnesses from the group home, if you need to subpoena records from the group home or from the child's juvenile case, uh, you can do that. Just out of curiosity, was the child a delinquent child or a dependent child? Do you know the difference? I believe a, a delinquent child. She's been in the system for a long time, and, yes, she does have a, a criminal record and things like that. I, I have right. um, one, well, that, one more question. That, that will I help can. you. Okay. Um, I was told that even if I appeal this, that it would only it could only go into something called inconclusive, which means it may have happened or may not. So would that still be used against me if I'm trying to find employment? Um, can it be used against you? Maybe, maybe not. But whoever told you that um, is telling you something that's not accurate. It could be unsubstantiated. Okay. Right. More about the case of, to give you my opinion about what some administrative law judge or judge in the superior court might do with it. Okay. The, the bad fact is the, the person was a minor, but the good facts allowing you for defense is, you know, she, she may be a juvenile delinquent. She may be aggressive. She may have special 
you know, problems, psychological, emotional problems, that type of thing. I mean, just because, you know, I don't know her size and weight and all of that, but just because, you know, if someone's attacking you, you have the right to defend yourself. Bottom line. Even if the child is a juvenile, even if the person is a juvenile. Does that help? Yeah, thank you so much. Call me and keep listening. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Okay, the next caller we're going to take is area code 707, ending in 11. Uh, hello, Mr. Davis. My name. Hi, my name is Ra. I have a, I have a question. Sir, we don't use Yes, hi, my name is. Okay. We don't use names. Okay. Okay. I have a question. I have a question and uh and uh and a story to tell. Uh, my short my short story is I am uh, an Aboriginal and I practice traditional customs. Um, my partner she is of uh, French, Irish, Sweden descent, uh, European. Um, in our customs, we practice certain customs when the baby is born, as far as um, uh, stretching the baby, doing certain things that's not a custom in this modern culture. She went home and told her parents, which are also um, Swedish, Irish, Dutch, French, European descent, um, about our customs as uh, uh, Aboriginals. Uh, when she came back, uh, she informed me that she let her parents know about the customs. Um, when I was at work, uh, she called me frantic, um, saying that the CPS was at our gate. I'm sorry, let me rewind it. I went outside one day at my dog barking, and I seen CPS at my gate with about seven sheriffs. Um, they came to my uh, gate saying they had a call about um, child abuse. Um, I told them, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat educated in law. I told them to leave and come back with a warrant. Um, this was a Friday, so they left, came back Monday with a warrant. At this time, I was at work. My, my, my spouse called me, frantic, crying. Oh, they're here. They're at the door with the sheriff, and they want to come in. Well, we have customs where you can't enter the house unless you take off your shoes. Uh, they violated that. They entered the house um, you know, doing their investigation. Uh, my spouse told them that they couldn't come in, and they still came in. I uh, looked at the kids. Uh, regarding the announcement, anonymous, anonymous, anonymous complaint. So we still had no idea why they were in the house doing what they were doing. We, we, we just, she didn't understand. I'm on the phone listening as she is telling me what's going on. Um, she's familiar with the law, so she started saying, you know, get, uh, get out of my house. I do not want you guys in here. Uh, long story short, before they left, the CPS forced her with the sheriffs right behind them saying, you have to go to the emergency because we need to check uh, for any kind of uh, bruises, damages on your kids. Um, she, I don't want to go to the... Uh, emergency. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. She brought it, She said she didn't want to go. With the sheriffs behind her, with the sheriffs behind CPS, they forced her to go to the emergency. When we got to the emergency, emergency just made her wait. Despite CPS there, sheriffs did not go to the hospital with CPS. So when she sat there waiting for the emergency to get our kids checked up, um, it was about 10. Uh, came 11. Uh, then 12, she got tired. Kids, sleepy, irritated. She started telling the C CPS, there's no sheriffs here. CPS said, no. She said, why am I here? 
so my spouse started to put things together and I gave her a couple codes to read under the, I think it's the welfare and welfare, one of, one of the provisions to read what they're supposed to do. So she realized that she didn't have to be there. So at 12 o'clock, she told the CPS, look, I'm leaving. CPS felt bad that she stayed there for so long. CPS went and got some food and said, well, here, feed your kids. And she said, after she fell, she said, I'm leaving now. I have to go to work. So she stayed at the emergency from 10 to 12, then decided to leave because the sheriffs went there to uh, enforce her to stay. So she left, came home, and I came home. We talked about it. Um, a couple months, uh, I think I may have gotten, gotten in contact with your office. A couple months went by, um, nothing. No, no, um, they didn't gather no evidence. They ended up dropping the case. I filed a complaint for uh, religious discrimination. Uh, I live in a county called Humboldt County, which is, ah, we dark people are the minority. So I went and talked to uh, the CPS um, coordinator, or they investigated. I went to the county. I filed a complaint with the county. Uh, they did an investigation. And their investigation, it sounds like, as I've been listening to you, yes, they all work together. So after the investigation, they didn't find nothing, regard, even regarding the religious uh, discrimination. So then I, uh, when they brought the warrant, um, they had to attach the anonymous complaint to it. So me and my spouse started looking over the complaint, and we found out that it was her mom and dad that filed an anonymous call to the CPS because of our customs our religious custom that we do to our kids, which don't hurt the kids or nothing. Uh, once, we, once we put all these facts together, we realized that it was her parents, and, we're real, and, and I realized it was because of, you know, my religious practice. Um, I'm at the point now where I think I'm ready to sue, maybe for a malice prosecution, or that, and this is my question to you, I, think, I feel that they violated um, one of the Ten Amendments, whether it be unusual punishment, whether it be, um, religious discrimination, not taking their shoes off, coming into my coming into my, uh, my my place of residence, and on top of it, they had they didn't have no evidence, so they just dropped everything. So they put my spouse through all this trauma, me and my spouse, to drop everything. So at this point, um, it has been about a year, and I know the statute of limitations is running. So I think I still have some time to sue, possibly for religious res uh, discrimination, being that her parents called and made a complaint regarding our religious customs. So that's my question. Where should I take it from here? Well, you have, if you're just going to pursue your federal claims, um, you have two years from the date of the incident to file in California. Now, that's different from state to state. So if we have other people listening, don't think you have more than two years or you have two years to do this. Some states, it's one year. But you're in California, in Humboldt County, and you have two years to file a federal civil rights lawsuit. Um, okay, it, sounds like your, it sounds like your civil rights were violated. Problem is, you know, it may not be a case as big as you think. Many people mm -hmm. come to me and, you know, they tell me a story, you know, similar to yours, and they think it's worth millions of dollars, and it's not. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean... The good part is it sounds like you do have a case. Um, the bad part is it won't, you know, in my opinion, from what you've told me so far, it's not millions mm -hmm. of dollars. But that doesn't say, that doesn't mean you should not pursue it. If these people violated your rights, you should pursue it. And in federal, well, if you go under what's called 42 U.S.C. 1983, it's a federal civil mm -hmm. rights uh, act, your attorney's fees will be covered. So 
let me tell you about a story that I know about um, police brutality case, but it's the same type of thing. Um, the guy got beat up by the police, and the lawyer went to court and told the jury, look, I'm not asking for millions of dollars, and I'm not even asking for a million dollars. I'm not even asking for, I think, ten thousand. I mean, $100,000. So the jury gave the uh, plaintiff, the guy that got beat up, $10,000. But, you know, the attorney was paid a couple hundred thousand dollars, I think, because they want attorneys to take these cases to stop government abuse against its citizens. Now, from what you've mm. told me so far, there is no way they could have had a warrant to make her go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if they forced her to go to the hospital and sat and wait, um, they, they lied to her. So mm. I, I, when you were telling the story, I mean, that's just one of the things that popped into my mind. Right. They can't make her right. go to the hospital. Um, what they mm-hmm. had a warrant to do probably was to inspect the children and once they That's inspect right. the children and they find no abuse, they have to leave. They can't make mm-hmm. you go to the hospital. Taking you to the That's hospital is just making, just making more money for that particular county because now they're mm-hmm. providing you, quote, unquote, services when you didn't really mm-hmm. want it. Mm-hmm. So what, what I would encourage you to do is, you know, Google knows all. Find a, a civil rights attorney in your area that can help you mm-hmm. and speak to that man woman to see if they will take the case for you. In my opinion, you do Thank have you. a case. Thank you. Right. I, I appreciate it. I, yes, sir. One last thing. This county, I've noticed, I've, I've searched many, this is a small county, I live in, and I've searched all the attorneys in this county, and they all seem like they work with each other. I'll tell, you, I'll tell one attorney, hey, I spoke with this attorney, and he'll be like, oh, yeah. And then they'll say, well, no, I'm sorry, I can't take your case. And this is something that, that my, my spouse, she's European, and all the attorneys we talked to, they're European. And I said, well, welcome to racism, because you're not understanding that I'm trying to do something. So my last question would be, the next thing I thought to do was go outside of Humboldt County, because all the bar members up here are of European descent, and they do not care to help um, us my um, us minorities up here, and it's a big case going on up here with a student that got uh, murdered, and it's really hard for us to find uh, representation representation through these legal firms that are mostly made up of Europeans when we're going against you know Europeans in a sense. So, um, what 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 the, what my best opinion what to do should be go outside the county and try to get help. Well, absolutely. I don't, you know, I've done, I think we've done one or two cases up in Humboldt County, but I don't know this, you know, the scenery uh, as far as them helping, um, you know, people of color up there. Um, but if you need to uh, go outside the county and find a, mm-hmm. find an attorney that can help you. All right. Right on. I want to thank you, Ms. Davis. I think I speak for myself and everyone listening. You are like a, a blessing to us because knowledge, they hold it secretive. And, and you are enlightening us in legal aspects that we are clueless on, and people would usually pay us. for. So I want to say bless your soul, brother, and thank you so much, Mr. Davis. Thank you. I have a question to ask you. Yes. You live in Humboldt County. How did you hear about my show? 
Um, I've been in touch with your office. Um, when this first happened back in 2017, I reached out to every lawyer in Humboldt County, and I couldn't believe what I was told. There was all They all knew each other. So I went outside of the county. I am from area code 626 originally, and I came up here for football. So I... I go back home when I when I when I when I feel like no one is in the, in some place else to help me. So I went home and I started searching around home, and then I came in touch with you. I think you're in San Diego, or somewhere down south. No, I, so I'm from I'm from six two six. So I was just searching someplace around there, and I came in contact with you. And I've been in touch with you through emails or your firm through emails. So that's how I got this email call today. Well, very good, and thank you for calling and keep listening. I sure will. Have a good day. You too. Okay, we're kind of running out of time. I'm going to try to take another call here. Area code 213 ending in 40. Good morning, Brown with Attorney Dennis Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. Loud and clear. Can you hear me? Yes, okay. Loudest. So I have a question. My question is this. Back in 1993 through 95, uh, I had a case with the Department of Children and Family Services. And uh, I, I, because of the abuse and the neglect the, uh, that I had suffered, I, I, I did what you said earlier. I let the man who came in and took my daughter away to tell me what to do. I let the the robber or the thief or the DCFS people, I didn't understand the system. I had no idea. So now it's been about 30 years. And with my new family, uh, I've got two wonderful stepchildren and I've got a brand new baby. And the department is, is taking, like they said earlier, they're taking this case as if uh, it happened yesterday. Oh yeah. Well, we, you lost your children. You lost your child back in 90, uh, 596. So, and then uh, because of another circumstance, I have this uh, this government requirement, and they're they're holding these two things against me. And uh, when I went to the uh, the apartment, they said jump through these hoops and do these things. Well, I'm doing all that. I have one more parenting class, so I'll be done. I'm going through this 52 week program, which is really for criminals, but they asked me to do it. My attorney, who I trusted and I do trust, said, "Listen, sir." If you'll do these things and just uh, if you go to trial, you're probably going to have to do these things anyway. So go ahead and just do these things. And then the department will be uh, released. The department will let you go. The department will uh, will give you back your child and they will be out of your life forever. Well, my family now is freaking out. My family is saying to me, uh, oh, no, they will never, ever, ever let you back with your children. And because of. The, uh, the situation in the early 90s, you lost your kid. You're a, considered a horrible, horrible human being. You'll never get your kids. You'll never get to move back home. They will just, they're going just, to, it just infuriates me, uh, Vincent. It infuriates me because of the fact that I have no criminal records. I don't have a misdemeanor. I have nothing. I did have a misdemeanor many years ago, but it was dismissed. And then the federal level and the superior court level, uh, you know, there's, I have no problems. I don't have any. I had one arrest, which was dismissed back in '92. So I have no nothing, and yet this family member is just freaking out and having a, a meltdown and telling. Just I get real discouraged last night. I just I couldn't breathe. I was so upset because 
it just seems hopeless. Like, even if I finish, and, and by the way, I'm doubling up on this 52-week program. I only have one more parenting class, the counseling. I'm a great person. I'm a very great person, and I've, I've not done anything at all to irritate the DCFS. And I do understand, thanks to you and thanks to uh, people that I, I've been recommended to, that I do not trust the DCFS. I don't listen to the DCFS. I know that they're the enemy as far as my particular situation goes. There are good people out there. God bless them. But my workers, they're just, they're just so dense. And I only get to see my daughter twice a week for two hours in a little room in the, in the center with no child, you know, no, no child safety, no child kindness at all. I bring my own things in to see my daughter. And um, so my question is this. Should I just go back and maybe have my attorney? I was thinking this morning, maybe I should go back and retry that case from the early 90s and say, look, they accused me of raping my daughter, and I never did that. And it was idiotic because months later they said, oh, yeah, he must have done it. And, and, and I just sat there and, okay, I'll sign off. So that, you know, I, they had a sustained petition. The police looked into it. There was nothing to it. They said, no, this is just a divorce tactic, and it was in the middle of a horrible divorce. But I'm thinking now, maybe if I can knock that out of the park and say, okay, you know, you guys are idiots. I mean, how could that happen? The police looked into it. They had no evidence. You have a minor physical imperfection. You say that proves. It was the whole thing was very shim sham. And I didn't realize that I could fight. They told me that if I did try to fight, that it would be, you know, 95% uh, the, the, my, the ex family, and I would get 5%. I would never be able to win. Well, now looking back, I'm thinking, this is stupid. No, with common sense, you could look at it and say, if the girl had been raped, then the family would have noticed it. They took care of her for two or three months. And they would have noticed something, but they didn't. They didn't notice anything. The doctor said she was fine. All the facts did not add up. At the end of the three months, they declared, "Oh, he must have raped her," and so then that's so they they. Uh, I was never convicted of any crime about that because there was no law enforcement, and there was no evidence. It was just a minor physical imperfection on on her private part, her anus, and uh, and that was it. There was nothing. So, so they're holding this against me right now, uh, Mr. Davis, and they're saying, look, we have this, and you have this government registration you've got to do. Oh, my God, we've got to assume that you're a danger. And so what do I do? Is there any – do you think I should go back and try to have my attorney uh, retry that case and knock that out? Do you think that I, if I finish all the things they're telling me, will they go away? Will they not come back, and I'll be able to be with my family? That's my question. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Okay, when was you said you want to go back and retry something? How many years ago was that? Thirty years ago. See, the DCFS is holding it over my head, in my face, and shoving me against the wall, telling me you lost the rights to be a parent. Well, in the meantime, Mr. Davis, I raised two awesome children. My son works in the film industry now. He's a professional. My daughter's straight A's on the principal list. I had two other children. I've got a total of five other children, two stepchildren and three other children that I, I, I fathered, and they are all awesome. There's nothing wrong with them. But the department is holding me out like, you're a horrible human being. You ought to be taken out and, and destroyed because you cannot be a parent. Based on the lies of a mother-in-law and her daughter, my first wife, and my question is, how long can this go on? Because my family is pressuring me out, going, oh, you're never going to come home. It's never going to happen. The department is God. The department is Lord. The department will always rule. You will never win. You will never get to come home. You better get a little, get a little shack somewhere, and we'll come visit you. Uh, you know, we, we look both ways. 
what's really the reality, Mr. Davis? My attorney told me that once I finished these programs, once I jumped through the hoops at the department, I signed off on a paper at the at Edelman's Children's Court. Once I finish these things, will they actually go away? Will they really just stop harassing my family? Yes, if you do everything that the court has ordered, uh, they're supposed to go away, close the case, and you go on with your life. But what, what stops them from coming back a week later, a month later, a year later? Just, just, just oh, we're going to come back. We're going we're gonna to get you this time. What stops them from doing that? Uh, the law. And can you, can you please be more clear? Because I do know that's oh, true. When I had the other case 10 years ago, they, the social worker, who was a good social worker, told me, she said, look, uh, uh, Mr. and Miss, uh, you, no one's going to bother you anymore. You've been through this whole gauntlet. They can't do that anymore. They, got, they can't come in here and take your children away. And, and uh, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, if you, if you present or do everything that the judges ordered, the theory is that they can't bother you, and the remedy is if you believe that they're harassing you, you can file a lawsuit to try to get them to stop harassing you. That would be a great idea. And do you think that I have a case? Because this whole thing was opened up with no allegation of any abuse whatsoever. The father, that's me, simply had a government registration requirement, but there was no no, no, no parole, no probation, no legal uh, restriction whatsoever to my having a family. But somebody decided that, you know, they got it in their head. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And they've harassed us now for I'm coming up on a year. I've lived in my car and my family has been driven through hell. So we have a lawsuit, do you think? You may have one. I'd be willing to review that part of the case for you. How late after can we, can we pursue it? How many months after do, after this thing closes? How do we know when it's really closed when I can call you and say, Vincent, please, because this has cost us. My wife's home has been given away to the attorney. I have lost $100,000 myself, my, my wife, uh, who they made me divorce and have a restriction order and all. It's just been insane, Mr. Davis. We're running out of time. Let me give you my phone yeah. number, and you, you give me a call on Monday, and we'll discuss this in further detail. It's triple eight triple eight six six five eight two. That's eight 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 six five eight two. And I want to thank you for calling in and keep listening. I absolutely will. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Okay, we're uh, about to run out of time. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to thank everybody to call, for calling in. I've given up my phone number if you want to talk about anything or get some legal advice. My uh, email is v.davis at vincentwdavis.com. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, and my book on Amazon, The Secret, How to Fight Child, Protect- Child Protective Services and Win. We'll see you next time on the radio.